Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Welcome to today's episode of the Recruitment Flex podcast. I'm Shelly, and I'm joined by my co-host, Serge Boudreaux. Serge, how are you feeling today? You know, you should call me Serge COVID Boudreaux. I'm pretty sure I have COVID with this call. No, I'm kidding. No. Oh, don't kid about. There's some things we shouldn't joke about. Yes, fair enough. Fair enough. But well, think about it in this day and time when you have a cold, you're going to assume it's COVID. So I know. This is the first thing people think. And don't dare blow your nose in public because, oh my God, people will repulse and run. Well, Never mind sneezing. My advice is never blow anything in public. So uh, (laughs) let's just go from there. So, okay, fine. Listen, introduce our guest. Yeah, I think we have a pretty. Yeah, we have a pretty special guest. Um, So we have, I guess, the cheese in Chad and Cheese. So we have Joel Cheeseman. So Joel Cheeseman is the founder of Poach which we'll talk about today, is the co-host of HR's most dangerous podcast, The Chad and Cheese Show, founder of Ridley. Mm. The list could go on, so I'm just going to stop there. So, Joel, welcome to the show. Good to be here, guys. Canadians love us, uh, so it's great to to be back, uh, at least verbally, in the the great white north. Always a pleasure. I love Canadians. I I married one, uh, as I think you guys know, but your listeners may not, so I'm I'm deep into the great white north. So you start a company called Poach. <laughs> oh, I know you, where you're going, sir. But you poach are Canadian women? What the hell is this? Yeah, up what's with wrong that? with you? <laughs> I am I am a an American, an American Viking <laughs> going north and, and taking away your women. Yes. That's that's, that's my upsetting. mojo, baby. <laughs> yeah. My mojo. Hey, are you guys are you guys on like a Shits Creek uh high right now? I don't know if no you've seen kidding, the show hey. and yeah. yeah, I love the show. So, so finally, did you watch Shit's Creek before? Did you know about the show? Like, as an American, is was this a surprise or what's what's the deal? I'm gonna say that again. My wife's Canadian, so it, there was a, a pipeline into all things pop uh, culture, Canada. Uh, I've I'm gonna say we've been watching for at least three years. Mm-hmm. Caught up on the first two or three seasons, and we're we're really hooked up until the end, and and obviously bummed that it stopped. I, I think I the world could, uh, the world, the, the world could use a little Shit's Creek now that we're all in Shit's Creek. <laughs> well, it's yeah. so funny because Canadians, when we're very proud of when we have someone nominated for anything. So say we have an that no shit. Well, in the U S it's like, <laughs> it's just, it's a big fucking deal. No, so think about, really? yeah, <laughs> it is. Think about seven. You don't know how much I have to hear about fucking Jim Carrey or <laughs> Justin Bieber or, uh, you know, Dan Aykroyd's Canadian. We have a how, fight over that every every week. How big a fan is your wife of Celine Dion? Which we're willing to trade to the U.S. for whoever you want, kind of. Uh, <laughs> I'm cool with it. I don't know, Shelly. Maybe yeah, that's think, more in your a lot of it is a veiled, a veiled enthusiasm around some of these Canadian artists. Uh, Celine would be towards the bottom of the list. Somewhere in the middle would be like Alanis Morissette, Brian Adams. Then we'd probably bump her up to like a Bieber. Um, and then the top of the list, of course, would be Tragically Hip. Um, a few of those guys. All right, Nickelback. Uh, Nickelback is right on Nickelback's top, right? not even on anybody's list, Canadian, American, uh, either way. But interesting oh, story. So I have, I have family in London, Ontario. 
Okay. And uh, Tragically Hip played their last tour they did. before the lead singer uh, died of cancer. So we, we traveled up and I've seen, I saw Tragically Hip on their last tour, which for an American is probably something I shouldn't have been allowed to do. No. Uh, but yeah, I saw uh, Gord, Gord, what's his name? Gord Downey? Gord Downey. Gord Downey, yeah. Gord Downey, yeah. So that was that was good. It's a shame because Tragically Hip is by far the best band we've ever had. In, well, maybe Rush, and depending on, uh, but Tragically I'm Hip is. I'm gonna the throw one an that, arcade. I'm gonna throw an arcade fire. In yeah, there. really? You like arcade fire? Huh. Yeah, and I would uh, the the Stills. I don't know if you know them from a while yeah. back, and um, uh, Pilot Speed. Never uh, heard of Pilot a, Speed. A rare, yeah. Uh, the mid two thousands. I'm gonna say they were. They they okay. tried to be tried to be hot, but yeah, Canada has a. I mean, what comedians, musicians? It, it's it's a proud country with a with a proud heritage. Well, there's nothing else to do. So in reality, well, we've like we've become musicians or comedians. We've we've got to find something to do in those winter months. But in reality, you definitely in, have to have a good in, sense of humor to live in Canada. Yeah, exactly. That's for sure. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, you're in Indiana, right? That's where you're based. I'm in Indiana. Yes, the Hoosier state. So. Hoosier State. Um, so put that in context. How did you meet a Canadian wife? I know this is not part of our yeah, podcast, sir, but I'm curious. How would you person. meet a Canadian? How sure. how did it happen you came and poached your Canadian woman? How did that it, it's pretty easy. Uh, <laughs> well, she was originally poached by our educational system. Um, our, our superior colleges uh, were where she went for her PhD uh, down in the University of West Virginia, so she has she has her she has her undergrad from New Brunswick University of. Uh, yeah. She has a master's from Toronto, and then uh, got a PhD in uh, biology from West Virginia. Got a job here in Indianapolis, uh, where we live now, at uh, basically Indiana University, mm-hmm. and that's where we met. So mm-hmm. I, I didn't. I didn't go. I didn't go rape and pillage Canada. She kind of came to me. She came uh, to you. Thanks to our thanks to our educational system. Well, yeah, there's something to brag about. And obviously, it can't be your healthcare system. So, um, we'll, we'll... <laughs> so Jill, that's a tap. different podcast, my friend. Yeah, that's a completely different podcast. You've been uh, so you've been in the industry for a long time. I yeah, I've I was saying the first time I've heard about you was reading your ere.net articles, but I know. Uh, you're famous with the Cheesehead blog in our industry. So, and and you work for multiple job boards. I think we have a really similar background. But tell me, how did you get into this industry? When did it all start? Um, I mean, I was I was a late '90s um, entrant into the industry. Um, I was in Indianapolis, which Indy has kind of a really great uh, heritage of job boards. So OCC, yeah. which was bought by Monster. I worked for eSpan at the time, which became Job Options. We were sister company, companies with NAS. Um, Monster still has a, a, at least had an office. They laid everybody off recently, but they had a presence here. Uh, Jobvite, as you know or may not know, is growing their presence. Yeah. Um, a lot of startups in the area. So, so um, I was working in politics at the time out of college. There was a job opening for a dot-com. I had a fraternity brother who worked there. He said, hey, you should, you should check it out. I interviewed, I got on as a trade show manager. So in the late nineties, I was single. I was trade showing all over the country. Uh, it was the dot-com boom. It was a great time to be alive. Um, I was a dot-com casualty, however, in 2001. 
got on with a regional board um, called Career Board out of Cleveland, who you won't know about or, or have heard of, uh, which is fine. Um, and then I've always been entrepreneurial. So in 05, I started an SEO business, started a blog uh, called Cheesehead, which sort of gained me some notoriety. Sold that in 2009 to a company called Jobbing, uh, who is now Paradox, Olivia. Uh, so mm-hmm. those folks I know really well. Um, worked in the background screening uh, industry for a very short time. Uh, 2016, started Ratedly, which I think you did or didn't mention uh, in the opening, but uh, started that. Um, Chad, who's my Chad and Cheese uh, partner in crime, we knew each other back in the Cheesehead 05, 06 uh, days. We actually did a podcast. I think it was called the Chad and Cheesehead podcast or show. Yeah. Uh, this I was pre-smartphone and pre-sort of you know high-speed internet. So the only way you could listen to stuff is like embed code on a blog. So yeah. I think we had maybe four listeners. Uh, so we scrapped it, but we, we had a good time with it. Uh, when I came back to Indy, he, he kept bugging me to bring the show back. I said, fine. Uh, I gave it a year to see how we could do. And it's been a shocking success. Uh, we touch a lot of people around the world. Uh, not literally, uh, that's okay too. So we're, we're making miracles happen around the world. And the fact that, you know, I get to talk to people from Canada, uh, just makes it all worthwhile. Um, so here we are. Yeah. And then poach, I launched, uh, we're in week three technically. Well, let's talk, oh, let's talk yeah. about, yeah, Shelly. Oh yeah, yeah. So, can I get a word in edgewise with you today, Serge? Jeez, I think, such I think a, you're. I think you've got a man crush. Such a male-dominated show. How did I end up I on know. this thing? <laughs> yeah. So, you talked about what year did you start Ratedly? Did you say Ratedly was sixteen? I think twenty sixteen. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know? I'm absolutely fascinated because I I want to hear more about uh, Ratedly as well as Poach because it's sure. a. For me, it's like, oh my God, like, of course, it's absolutely such a brilliant idea. So, so give us the, the evolution of Ratedly and is, is it really, how is it, re, how is Ratedly related Relatedly. to Poach? Related, <laughs> yeah, you got to change that name, man. Um, yeah, yeah, you are, you're way too kind uh, to, 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 yeah, to <laughs> too much sunshine. All right. Just chill out with that. Um, I know I'm a guest and everything. Uh, so, so Ratedly was born really on the premise of that. Uh, there are a lot of employee review websites, uh, ones that we know, ones that we don't. Um, we track about 30 for the site. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do it globally. Um, we, uh, we, uh, basically take out the manual operation of going to multiple sites to see what employees are saying about us. Right. Mm-hmm. So, Think of a think of a, a Twitter feed of reviews from around multiple sites on the web, mm-hmm. um, including sites like Twitter, uh, Quora, Reddit, places we don't normally think of as employee yeah. review um, sort of places to to comment. Yeah, and we bring that into a single dashboard. Uh, we've layered some AI over it for sentiment, uh, natural uh, language processing. Mm-hmm. Um, we uh, we translate different languages. So if you're in English and you have uh, I don't know, Japanese operations. It's kind of hard to go to, to a, a Japanese site if you don't speak Japanese. So we, we try to translate all that for our, for our users. Um, I'd say that the, the, the challenge in that, well, twofold is that uh, COVID has put a lot of employer branding folks uh, on the street 
or at least with no budget. So that's been sort of a challenge recently. Mm-hmm. Um, and the second thing I think is that when I started the company, I was, I was taking a bet on there being more fragmentation in the industry, right? I thought there would be, you know, uh, let's call it glass door for Vancouver, glass door for engineers, glass door for African-Americans, glass door for, and, and some of that has come to fruition. But if, if we look at our data, um, Glassdoor and Indeed are probably 90% of mm-hmm. the content out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think for your listeners, you should, you should check out Blind, uh, which is teamblind.com. Uh, they were an app. They've been around for about five, five plus years. Mm-hmm. It used to be kind of a cesspool of all things corporate. So, you know, the CEO is sleeping with the interns or we're going to get money probably or, hey, we're going to sell. And there was some job stuff in there, but they've recently launched a Glassdoor type review section. So I think they're probably worth looking at for a new generation of folks that think Glassdoor is for old people, which maybe mm-hmm. it is. Um, so yeah, I mean, we have a, we have a good, uh, we have a pretty solid group of loyal users uh, that's grown organically. Um, but you know, it's, it's sort of a nice to have solution. Um, I don't know if people are doing the math to say how much time do we spend monitoring our reviews and if we automated that how much money would we save uh i think if they did that math our solution's kind of a no-brainer uh but a lot of companies aren't doing that math unfortunately yeah so it's it's essentially i would say taking a page out of traditional marketing with the social listening tools right is that not that's what i hear and yeah so if you're in if you're in marketing at nike like you want to monitor Twitter to see what people are saying about your new shoes or the new Jordans or the new Kaepernick commercial. Exactly. Like, so, exactly. so those tools from a marketing perspective have been around for 15 years. Yes. I just wanted to take, I wanted to bring that concept to employment and that's essentially what it is. And, and so is our companies using it as a tool or it feeds into or informs how they will um, change or control their messaging? Like does it fits more with um, employer brand or or recruitment marketing? Like who? How are they using it? Yeah, I think um, I mean it, it. It's a little. It varies across the board. I think some people just want to get the daily email to see what did what did people say about us yesterday online, mm-hmm. and if there's something pressing that they need to uh, address, they will. Um, I think in some aspects, uh, agencies will track companies, uh, sentiment for them. So they'll, yeah, they'll be the ones who reply for the company or they'll be the ones to engage with the reviews. My experience is there aren't a lot of companies that will engage actively, uh, with reviews. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a shame. They, they more kind of want to just know what's going on. Um, Uber's a good, a good, uh, a good contrast to that. Uh, they tend to reply to everything. Yeah. <laughs> glass door and indeed like even if it's good bad whatever like thanks for thanks for taking time to let us know what you think um obviously uber has some issues uh and, and has had issues for a while so they're trying to keep a lid on uh you know brush fire starting uh in terms of what's going on at at uber with drivers and and employees yeah so what's the sentiment data that you have made you think about how can this be leveraged and hence why you created Poach? So for our listeners that don't know anything about Poach, can you tell us a little bit uh, about it? But curious to see, because you have all this data and I'm assuming for Poach, you're leveraging the sentiment data to 
be able to create this company? Yeah, so ratedly, uh, we were able to learn sort of a, have a, you know, gain a core competency around reviews, how to get them. Um, you know, there are, frankly, there are AI tools that didn't exist five years ago or that weren't sort of readily yeah. available for people like me um, to be able to use. So for me, me to be able to plug in, you know, AI infrastructure from trillion dollar companies is pretty amazing. And I thought, okay, how do we, how do we take that with the data that we have and use this in a different way? Um, and I think there's more demand in terms of the recruitment side, as opposed to the employment brand stuff. So we said, we basically said, how do we take what we know and make it into a recruiting tool? So poach is essentially looking at, uh, content around the web that employees are, are publishing and then creating sentiment scores around that content. So think of it almost in terms of um, a stock chart. So each day a stock goes up and down, right? And you can, you can garner trends in whether stock is going bad, (laughs) going badly or or positively. Uh, So same thing with worker sentiment, right? So you can basically chart out, positive or negative in terms of what the sentiment is at a company. So if you're a recruiter, um, you can start looking at, holy shit, you know, sentiment at my, my competitor is going to hell, right? Yeah. So now is a really good time to start making the calls, start sending out the emails or the text messages, because clearly something is not right at this company. And what I also wanted to do was help recruiters look around corners in other words, by the time a company lays off everybody, um, it's on LinkedIn, they're all updating their whatever uh, profile. So by then, you're fighting with hundreds of recruiters potentially trying to get at these people who are just laid off. I want to give recruiters a vision into the future to say, shit's going down. I want to get on before, the, you know, before they hit the iceberg so I can get the best talent out of there before uh, all my competitors try to get them. So that's yeah. essentially the idea around poach. And in addition to looking at employee sentiment data, we're going to be looking at news data. We're going to be looking at some sort of stock chatter, if you will. Uh, we're going to be looking at, you know, hey, are insiders selling the stock at an unusual rate, which is usually a negative sign in terms of the health of a company. So as we evolve as a, as a solution, um, knock on wood that people will actually use it and pay money to see it, you know, grow as a, as a business. Um, we'll start putting in some really cool data to help him, help recruiters really get a, really get a leg up on the competition to recruit best talent before, you know, the flood of, uh, activity, activity happens. We also think it's important to look at your own company. So if yeah. nothing else, you should be monitoring your own business. Yeah. Um, and we don't, you know, we don't, uh, we don't check to see whether you work there or not. Um, and you can monitor up to one company on the site. Uh, you can actually, it's free right now. So you can go, you can go monitor one company, whether it's your own or a competitor, um, for free. But even as we add paid tiers to the solution, um, there'll always be sort of the, uh, lesson from the drug dealers, right? Like the first hit is free. So you'll be able to, to track one at no cost and hopefully we'll be able to, to get you onto a paid version at some point. So when do you plan to monetize it? Like, is there a, a certain threshold that you're looking for as far as yeah. database? And I think one of the biggest pain in HR tech generally is no, like pricing is like 
almost fucking impossible to get from anyone. So I'm curious to see if you've determined what your pricing model is going to be. And yeah, yeah. So, so uh, my threshold to go to like, to look at, to go beyond where we are today was to say, can we get a hundred people to use it? Cause yep. if we couldn't get a hundred people to use it, I was like, well, fuck it. Like shut it down. And it, it was a bad, I thought it was a good idea. It's a shitty idea. No one wants to use it. So we're, we're now in week three. Um, I think we're on like 124 users. So we'll start building a, a sort of the tiers around that. And it, we're talking a really simple SaaS model, right? So yeah. um, for X dollars a month, you can track up to 10 companies. Uh, for X amount a month, you'll be able to track, let's call it 25 companies uh, per month. Um, and cool. it'll be really simple. Like I'm a big believer in uh, too much choice just puts people in paralysis so we're going to kind of try to keep things as simple as possible, free, middle, and, you know, sort of the premier tier. Obviously, there'll be some enterprise folks with, you know, a thousand recruiters that say, hey, how do we plug this in for a thousand of our people? And that'll be sort of custom. But that's, that's the idea. So we'll build that out. We'll start building in more, um, more context to the data. So if, if, if sentiment goes down, why did it go down? And we'll, we'll try to help you understand you know, there, there was a news story about layoffs. So there was a bunch of layoffs or the CEO left, or there was a sexual harassment case that's tearing the company apart. You know, we want to help build context around the data. Um, and that'll be how we evolve going forward. So I think, I think you'll see a sort of a paid tier, um, conservatively by the end of the year, you'll be able to track multiple companies and get some real context around the data that we're pulling for you, maybe more historical data, things like that. Cool. I, so everyone listening, definitely check out poach.ai. I think it's, uh, yes. I think you can get a lot more users. So 103, let's aim to get to around 200 by the end. There's of, what, like 80, 80 Canadians. So if we get 10% <laughs> yeah, exactly. of that. <laughs> I can't see why. I love, I love that you mentioned, it. I love that you mentioned the pay thing, by the way. Um, <laughs> how bad is pay transparency or pricing transparency in our business? Like it is. everything oh, is fun. get a demo. Horrible. That's right. Like nobody, just, nobody give me the in, price. I think the biggest challenge, so I, I lead a talent acquisition teams. I, I leverage a lot of technology. I see something that I really like and I'm like trying to figure out what the pricing is. Then, um, then when I finally figured out, it's like double the amount that I could even consider. Look, so I just wasted an hour as far as doing a demo or whatever the yeah. case is. So it's a pain in the ass. I, I think it's worse in HR tech than it is in any other tech as far as like transparency and pricing. I don't know. Why is that? Like, why do we have such an issue just telling what the price is? Is do you? Have I thought it was a Canadian only thing. Cause I'll tell you. Really? Yes. Canadians are weird about talking about money in general. Like we consider it to be impolite to ask. Like, honestly, I, I think it's, I would have seen it as more of a Canadian trend, but I know you look so globally. Do, do you have price tags on your merchandise when you walk into a, uh... I don't if know. If you have to ask, Canadian you can't Tire. Afford it. <laughs> Can, I yeah. mean, Canadian Tire has pricing on their merchandise, I think. So. No, no, no. I Not, mean, when you're buying big, like things like software or even, even in the recruitment space, uh, when it comes to talking about compensation in general, people are like, oh, like we don't dare ask somebody, you know, how much are you looking? Like, well, give me a range, man. Give me a range. Um, it's a oh, great, well, it's a great question. Um, 
you know, you have so many moving parts in recruitment. So you have your individual, you know, sort of, uh, you know, one man staffing firm or woman, one man yeah. or woman staffing organizations. You have huge companies that have a ton of money. You have agencies in the mix that want to get their piece of the pie. Yeah. Um, obviously, if you're global, you have different issues there. Um, if you do a demo with someone, you can sell them more stuff. Uh, I hate, I hate demos, man. I'm, I'm like, I'll tell you from rate, like ratedly is you got to get, you got to contact us. We got to set you up. There's a level of understanding and, and what you're doing yeah. with poach with poach. I was like, if they can't join without talking to me, then we failed. So like, how do we build, yeah, yeah. give us your competitor, you know, confirm that that's the one you want and then join and you're done. Uh -huh. And that was really important. Uh, but pricing, I think, will be just as easy. And you, you also get a, a thing where like, okay, well, you have seats and it's one company, but it's 80 seats. So like, okay, we'll do an extra hundred and we'll take this much off. So there's some haggling there that people have to do. But yeah, as a, as a, as a rule, and it's maybe competitive, like I don't want my sourcing tool, you know, to, to be transparent in pricing yeah. because then, you know, like hire tool doesn't want to publish because seek out will know. And if seek out knows and hiring solve will know. And then, so there's a little bit of gazemanship there as well. But, mm. uh, for me, it's like, how much is a job posting? Let me put up the job. Let me pay you with a credit card and let me not talk yeah. to anybody. Just make that's it easy to me for what, me. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it should be. Yeah, definitely. I want to change gears just a little bit because, um, Serge and I, started this podcast. This was our, our COVID. Um, we call it COVID. You guys call it Corona. Therapy. We call it COVID. Yes, it was. It really was. Yeah. And so Serge and I were like, hey, we love podcasts and there was nobody doing it. Certainly, you know, Canadian speaking just here to Canadians. And so we thought, okay. Um, now, we, we realize that we're not professionals. You know, and we listen to the Chat and Cheese podcast all the time. So take us through, like, what, where did you guys come up with this idea? And especially, like, the format. Like, is that all just an evolution? Or was, is this, I don't know, maybe we're asking trade secrets again. Because we're like, what a formula. Like, you guys got it going on. Well, there's no trade <laughs> secret, Shelly. We make zero dollars. So <laughs> yeah. it's not like we're trying to steal anything from No, them. we're not. We're not. But I think I think people are interested. Certainly I am, maybe. Just maybe it's my curiosity. Interested to know, like, did it evolve? Or like sure. you guys had years to perfect this and, and you just hit the timing right. So here, here's the Chad and Cheese story, because you asked. Okay. Um, so Chad and I have been friends, you know, for 15 years. And he and I have a chemist. I mean, we're friends. Like, without the podcast, we'd still be friends, hang out, talk. Um, but we did this show back in the day. And then I came back to Indiana for personal reasons. Uh, he's in Columbus, Indiana, about an hour away. But we would get together uh, and just just chat, uh, and it typically veered from like football and sports to music to the industry and sort of back again. And uh, it was almost like, why don't we just have a microphone record this conversation, and that's a podcast. Like, if you could just take two dudes with 20 years experience talking about the industry, like people would probably listen to that. Mm. Um, so when he wanted to do it, and I think it's important to, to note, if you want to start a podcast, you have to commit to doing the podcast. 
don't do three episodes and think it's going to be boats and hose and easy street because like it's not and too many podcasts like do 10 episodes and you know they stop um commit to a year like do a weekly thing for a year to really give your chance give your show a chance to succeed so i said if we can get a hundred people to give us an email address saying, I want you to do this show and we can get at least one company to write us a check, I'll commit to 12 months to the show. So we put up a landing page said, Hey, uh, Chad and cheese. If we get a hundred people to say they want this, we'll do a show. And we got, we got well over a hundred fortunately. So that piece of the puzzle was done. And then we sort of went, you know, cap in hand to some uh, companies that we knew and said, Hey, we're not going to do this unless we get someone to write a check. Um, I think our first investment was uh, someone said, I'll give you $1,500 for three months. And if the show goes after at longer than three months, we'll talk about, you know, doing something further. So we had $1,500, 500 a month. Basically we had a hundred people who said they'd listen. So we launched the show and we knew it would suck. Initially uh, we got a Zencaster account. Uh, Uh, We got good mics, which you're seeing here. Like that's super important. Get a good mic, spend, you know, spend a hundred bucks. It's well worth it. Get a good mic, Um, get some decent software. Um, And we committed to a weekly show. Uh, We had, we said, we're going to have three sponsorship spots, which we've, we've had full Mm -hmm. almost the whole time that we've been doing it. Um, Sponsors stay with us because they know if if they get out of line, there's someone right there to take their place. Mm, and I yeah. think they're also getting uh, results from it. And then we were like, shit, dude, we have people who want to give us money. People are actually listening to the show. Like, how do we evolve this and, and do more stuff that we think is cool? So I think we, the second thing we did was we said, let's do like a, a monthly deep dive with someone important. So let's get a CEO on to talk about AI recruiting or chat bots or programmatic, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was the thing as well. We got a sponsor for that. Uh, we did, uh, we love startups in our space. So we started firing squad, which for a lot of people is their favorite show. It's like shark tank, a startup comes on, we grill them for like 20 minutes and then we, we give them a review at the end. And then we've done stuff like cult brand series yeah. Uh, we'll bring on marketing folks and experts in a lot of different things. Some Calgary um, folks, right? You're yeah. Chris yeah. Uh, and, uh, the, the cult gathering there in, in yeah. Banff in Alberta uh, yeah. is, a, is a yearly uh, pit stop for us. And we love love going to, to Calgary and, and heading on over to Banff. So we got to travel as well. People want us to do their conferences. We'll do the, we'll do the live show at events. Um, we'll do corporate events where a company will say, hey, come do the show at our headquarters. Uh, we'll do that. So we're, we're having a blast. Um, COVID was obviously a bummer because we can't travel anymore. Yeah. Um, but the show keeps trucking until we kill one another or someone <laughs> just like, fuck it, and takes their ball home. Uh, yeah, it, we're, having it, a, yeah. we're having a blast doing it. It's been it interesting like it. to to watch because I think I've been listening probably I would say close to three years now uh, on and off and and getting and you guys have definitely improved uh, which is the thing as far as I don't think anyone comes in as a professional broadcaster but it's become the podcast that everyone in the industry listens um, and it, it, like what is Thanks. your audience is it like like for us, we're getting mostly like recruiters, practitioners, leaders, but you're, you're getting a lot of people that work in tech. Like what is the mixture of your audience? 
Yeah, it's a little tough to nail down um, a podcast in terms of listenership. Um, but I can tell you, obviously, industry folks, um, yeah. mm-hmm. our, our, our forte is what's going on in the industry and our opinion around that. So if, yeah. if this job bite acquires somebody, we'll report that, but we'll also say this is why it's stupid or this is why it's brilliant. And here's why we think that, which I think is kind of the the wrapper in the secret sauce of what we do is you can't just buy 20 years experience in the industry, right? So no. uh, that's an important piece of it. So I think, I think if you're in the industry, you know us better than anyone. So I'm going to say probably 40% is industry people. And then I'm going to say probably 30 is recruiters, TA people, uh, corporate recruiters as well as sort of the contingency folks like they just enjoy uh the no bullshit sort of news of the day and then there's probably the rest of that is random slash uh you know hr betty at uh such and such healthcare you know community uh company or or facility <laughs> let's call it hr uh, in that last percentage. Um, but we also get a lot of women that'll come to us in conferences that are in HR and say, God, I've been thinking that for a long time. And yeah. you guys actually say it. It's, it's really nice. Uh, it's refreshing to hear someone say these things that we've been thinking about for a long time. Well, the funny part is I still remember seeing this on LinkedIn where you transcribe all your shows and uh, basically you put it on your website. And I think Chad shared the episode and yeah. some guy commented being like, I can't believe how much you guys swear. Like this is like your point is not getting across. I'm like, you have no fucking clue if you're listening to the show or have any concept of uh, what they're talking about. It was, it was funny to see that. So let's talk about what you're you know, we really, had, really we good. Had a, we, had a real, we had a really strict no cursing policy at the beginning. Really? Um, well, yeah. So Why? our our wives our wives had a little bit of influence. Uh, okay. And, you know, it was like, well, these these people have kids. They'll be listening in the van, you know, going yeah. to whatever. And like, you probably shouldn't cuss. And so there was, for a while there, there wasn't a lot of cussing. And then at some point it was like, this is not natural for us. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we cuss when we talk, we, you know, talk shit. And so it, it eventually faded out. But uh, I think it's important in terms of a successful podcast is that you're yourself. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and whatever chemistry you have, if you're on a show with multiple people, that needs to come out. It can't feel fake or mm-hmm. staged in any way. Do you know, I, I heard a saying that you should never trust someone who doesn't cuss. <laughs> and there's a lot of studies around people who cuss are more intelligent than those who don't. Okay, I mean, let's so go with that. Google, Google that, folks. Google that. <laughs> yeah, Google.ca. Yeah, it's there. <laughs> well, let's talk about your expertise. So let's talk yes. about what's going on in the industry. So myself and Shelly have always discussion. So I've worked in the industry for a long time and now yeah. more in the uh, TA side and Shelly runs a recruitment marketing uh, agency. So we talk about who's what's going on. So ZipRecruiter, my philosophy on ZipRecruiter is they were going to IPO this year. COVID completely fucked it. Uh, yeah. So now I think we both agree, Shelly, uh, yeah. that they're going to get sold. Uh, God knows, is it going to be recruit? Is it going to be player like talent.com? What's your thoughts? Like what's going to happen with zip recruiter? Cause like Shelly, what do you think? Do you think, yeah. like, are so you my, agreement? That- I think they've, they've taken their sales reps and send them out to snoop 
and see what's happening in the market and what's the appetite. Um, and that's not gossip. That is firsthand experience. And so it, it feels to me um, that they are either trying to figure out, you know, if somebody's going to invest in them or if they are just trying to position what price to ask for. If, if they had only got that Workopolis deal, everything <laughs> would have been fine, right? Exactly. Like, damn <laughs> you indeed. All of them would have gone down. Damn you indeed. Well, yeah. So, so when you, when you, when you take as much money and investment as ZipRecruiter has taken, there are one of two roads for you, IPO or yeah. sell, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they laid off 30-some percent of their folks in light of COVID, um, so they're not in the best of times. Um, they're not going public uh, in the current state of the world and the current state of the company. Um, and, th- and to be bought... Uh, the price is not what they would get, let's call it a year to two to three yeah. years from now. Yeah. So they're probably in a little bit of a holding pattern. Um, I'm guessing that their investors are okay with that because of the state of the world. Um, I've always thought if they don't go IPO, uh, recruit made the most sense to build sort of a three-legged defense against Google uh, with Indeed, Glassdoor, and then uh, ZipRecruiter bringing up the rear. So to me, that makes a lot of sense. There aren't a lot of other folks uh, that would have the money or the firepower to come in and buy ZipRecruiter. So the only uh, one I can see is StepStone. I, I can see StepStone taking a, yeah. a look at uh, ZipRecruiter. It, it's interesting because Recruit seems to be the more obvious one in that sense, just because they have the finance to do it. Glassdoor hasn't exactly worked out for them, um, not in the way they thought. Uh, I was in Indeed yeah. when they bought Glassdoor, and I think the message initially was Glassdoor is going to be a completely run company, separate company, um, and we're seeing uh-huh. that changing already. What's your <laughs> thoughts on Glassdoor? What's, what's going to happen with Glassdoor? Um, so I'll throw in maybe a Microsoft or a Facebook in the ZipRecruiter yeah. conversation. That, that could be interesting. Um, yeah. My thoughts on Glassdoor. Uh, ouch. Yeah. Um, if I've always talked about COVID being an accelerator to everything, yeah. right? And True. and my guess is Indeed always had this vision of we're going to phase out Glassdoor, uh, with the exception of maybe the brand. Um, you know, they're still going to get reviews. They still have a great brand in terms of uh, what's going on at a company. So I don't see that changing. All the job postings are going to be Indeed. All the uh, you know the accounting functions, the sales, like that's all going to run out of Indeed. Um, they're already cross-posting jobs. Um, yeah. I, I wouldn't be shocked if at some point you can leave a review on Glassdoor and also put it on or cross-post it onto Indeed, um, so they have some some synergies mm-hmm. there. And if they find that all the reviews in Glassdoor, people are opting to put it on Indeed. And it's like the same reviews. At some point, you can fade out. You know, you, yeah, can, yeah. All, you can just say, yeah. hey, all the reviews are going over to Indeed. Click here to leave your review. And all that stuff goes to Indeed. So I think yeah. Glassdoor is not long for this world. Um, if they're getting a lot of people, companies that want to pay more just to have it on both sites... Mm-hmm. that may be a catalyst to keep the sites going because people think there's enough value in both of those. Well, I don't um, think that's but, happening though. I think that's yeah, I part of the problem. Yeah, I don't, I don't think, yeah. I, I, I think 
just like simply hired and you could talk to workopolis in in canada but i think these these brands just just will essentially die out they mm-hmm. they yeah. degrade the the founders go away the people that give a shit go away and it just becomes a conduit for the for the mothership uh which is indeed and I think if ZipRecruiter became a recruit product, the same would happen to them. Yeah, yeah I think so. Well, lists. So one of the questions with Glassdoor and where they were a little bit different is, so they had a partnership with Google for Jobs. So when Recruit bought them, um, that didn't go away. Any word if that is like, what's the latest with Google for Jobs and Glassdoor? Um, and we can talk about Google for Jobs next too. I don't know exactly what the agreement was other than just uh, Glassdoor was letting Google for jobs, take their content um, and put it on the yeah. site. I don't think there was any paid paid agreement or, I mean, there's, it's probably just a straight XML feed into Google based on what Google wants, just like career builder and monster and everybody else did. So I don't think that's necessarily uh, favoritism or anything that's going on. Um, Indeed, essentially, Indeed inevitably has to play with Google for Jobs, and if they can do that with a proxy for Glassdoor, um, I think they'll probably continue to do that. Um, at some point, I think Indeed has to play with Google for Jobs. I just, at some point, enough employers will know what Google for Jobs is to say, "Oh, why aren't you on Google for Jobs?" I'm going to take my ball and post where they are posting on Google for jobs, or I'm actually going to learn how to post on Google for jobs and send people to my ATS. Um, so the candid experience on Google for jobs right now is, and I mean, Shelly agree on this is, is horrible. Uh, as far yeah. as like you're being redirected yeah. to jobs that don't exist. Uh, mm-hmm. But I see Google for Jobs like with COVID, and I don't know if you feel the same way. Me and Shelly argue about this. I think Google for Jobs is making massive inroads since uh, since COVID has hit. I think it's even scaring um, Indeed quite a bit. But how's your feeling? How's the feeling with Google for Jobs right now? Uh, it's been I mean, look, they, when, when you own the rails, you have a, a distinct advantage. And, you know, Apple Music is a is an inferior product to Spotify. But you know what? It's a lot easier on my iPhone to have this music thing that integrates with my iPhone and I can say, hey Siri, play play Nickelback or what you know, whatever <laughs> like you than, would. than otherwise. So you had to pick so, yeah. one Canadian band, right? Nickelback. Yeah. <laughs> All right. But so so yeah, we can argue like Google for Jobs inferior, it's not as good as Indeed or you know other sites and things like that. But but I could push right back and say, look, they own the rails, right? Like yep. people's people have no brand loyalty to job sites. If they did, Monster would still be uh, number one, right? So people get a job, they forget about searching for a job for two to three years. Then when they have to find a new job, they go, oh shit, what do I do? And I go to Google and I search jobs in sales in mm-hmm. Toledo or whatever, right? So now there's a whole new mix of job sites I didn't know about and a bunch of new sites. So behaviorally people go to Google when they want to find a job and I don't see that changing. So if you're going to tell me Google's going to serve up jobs to the, to the hundreds of millions of people that search for jobs, those people are going to go to those sites that are on Google for jobs. Um, inferior or not, they own the rails. So if you ask me about Google for jobs, like searches, they, they do search better than anyone else. If they get all the content, which they are, they're going to get all the ATS content. They're going to like eventually feed into, you know, they launched Google 
people cards or profile cards in India, right? Like, don't underestimate the the hate that Google has for Microsoft for grabbing LinkedIn. Yeah. Okay. And don't don't underestimate the price <laughs> tag point. of LinkedIn, which was twenty six yeah. billion dollars. Okay. There's a lot of value in in a Rolodex of people, of yeah. people directory, particularly professionally. So Google, Google, you know, Google Plus sucked and failed. Uh, hired by Google was an antitrust nightmare, and it wasn't yeah. worth their time and energy. But if they can get people on Google to who search their names to say, "Hey, you want to put a little card and what you do, and here's your profile, and blah blah blah," um, does that create an easy way to apply to the jobs on LinkedIn? Or, I mean, on Google, like, "Hey, use your Google card to apply to this job," right? So I, I don't underestimate the value of that ecosystem, right? That LinkedIn has. Uh, I, I think Google's probably done going after Facebook, but I don't think they're quite ready to throw in the towel on sort of a professional business, job search, workplace. And if they can work that into their G Suite, which is their, you know, their corporate product and email. And so, you know, the platform for all that is is happening and indeed it doesn't play in that world right they don't play in the teams nope. slack uh at work chat spreadsheets email like those one stop mm-hmm. platforms are going to be the future and it's going to be split between microsoft and google uh maybe amazon if you know whoever buys slack i think has an interesting play Mm-hmm. And yeah. that I think Facebook would like to, um, their at work product is sort of, you know, medium to no success at this point, mm-hmm. but they're, mm-hmm. you know, they're still interested in it. No, it's, it's interesting in a sense, because, um, if we take a look at indeed and indeed doesn't really play in that world at all. Um, but, and I, I've said this to Shelly and Shelly thinks I'm crazy. I'm like, Indeed is going to be a massive staffing firm four or five years. Yeah. Like Just look at recruit. Like you think about the market. So the job board market is maybe, I don't know, 10 billion at the high end. Uh, the staffing market is, is probably close to a, a hundred billion dollars. Yep. It just makes sense for, for Indeed to go down that route and everything they've tried. So you look at, uh, Hire by Indeed, and they had Indeed Prime, which was in the tech sector. But mm-hmm. am, am I right or Shelly right? Uh, Shelly thinks I'm crazy. I think that's definitely the way they're going. Uh, the head of the beast, uh, and a lot of listeners in North America don't know this, but Recruit Holdings is a gigantic staffing firm uh, yeah. over in mm-hmm. Asia, right? So if you look at the head of the beast being a staffing firm, uh, and they can do the math around what you just did, um, it makes a lot of sense for Indeed to become a, a, st- a more so more focused on staffing. Um, okay, well, I particularly guess that when you look you at win, Serge. <laughs> particularly when you look at the the threat to look jobs are a commodity. Yep, they're a commodity. But if if you can get feet on the ground relationships with companies, I mean, Google's not going to get into the staffing business, right? No. Um, so so it's it's. You can build a moat around it. You have a core competency. You have data. Uh, you have data. You have this machine that's churning out resumes. Uh, you can c- continue to use that asset. But yeah, I think the money they can make staffing just uh, dwarfs what they're doing. And the threat to the job board business is real. So yeah, I agree with you. 
uh, all signs point to a more staffing esque organization at Indeed. Yeah. Well, you think about the size of the database they have is is just incredible, and the amount. Uh, like, I don't sure. see Indeed as a traditional staffing company. It's not like they're going to come and be exactly the same no, model as they'll Kelly's try to services. build scale. Or, they'll try to build some scale around it. It might be a hybrid. Yeah. Um, you know, part job board, part staffing, yeah. you know, if you can't fill the job with, with our job post in 30 days, you know, upgrade to our team of sourcers and experts and, uh, you know, recruiting professionals. So it, it may not even feel like a staffing company, but that's essentially to me where the money is and where they're eventually going. Cool. Sounds good. So, uh, okay. Then I see the light. I see the light surge. Um, and thank you. Well, what's your, so what's your argument, Shelley? What's, well, what's your so, argument? So I think, again, we're reverting to the only thing we know, and that is what is a traditional. I spent uh, 10, 11 years in the staffing industry um, and was a principal partner for what certainly very thought forward kind of staffing agency in terms of how, and they all think they are. I get that. But, right. you know, yeah. I'm now starting to see like the, the um, not in the traditional sense of what a staffing firm is. And maybe that's what I was getting hung up on because now realize that, um, you know, the having the eyes and the attention of job seekers and having that focus on job seekers, which indeed does so well, where Google is just, honestly, it's, I don't think people go back twice once you've been it bonked over the head, which is the the experience you get using Google for jobs, quite honestly. Um, and why? Why do I have to fill out all this information? Anyways, so um, I, I do believe it will be redefining staffing. You know, it's not going to be yeah. the traditional, the way we've always done it, like having a human being doing the sourcing when we've got technology mm -hmm. where, you know, we're going to hold out the best for the for paying a placement fee. Yeah. Or if you, you have Carvana in Canada. Which? Carvana? Carvana? No, I've never heard of no. What is that? Or Vroom? Vroom. It's, okay, is it so, like a car sharing type of... Uh... No, so, so Carvana uh, in the States here, you'll see these, these semi-high-rises of glass buildings with cars in them. Uh, okay. Carvana. So you, you, you can buy online, you get this big coin, right? And you okay. take this coin to this big monolithic uh, building with cars in it that you can see. And there's light, you know, big blue lights, Carvana. And you put in this coin like you're, you know, buying bubble gum at the, at the movies. Like a vending you put machine. it in and then your car, you, you can see your car come down and it comes down for you, right? So at least here in the States, we're saying like, you know, is that a car dealership? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Do I have to talk to a salesperson? No. I go online, I buy a car, I have this cool experience. It's kind of techie. They, you know, so look at what Indeed is going to do with staffing. Think of like what Carvana does with cars. You're still buying cars, but you feel like it's a totally different thing and it's cool and you want to tell your friends about it. Like, I think that's somewhat the, the hybrid model that, that Indeed will probably come up with. Yeah, it'll be a great uh, page turner to see what's coming. But when I, when, when Serge said staffing, I'm like, please, we're not going backwards. That, that was my, maybe that's my. Just admit uh, you were wrong, Shelly. Just say <laughs> okay. I'm right. For There's still help, help wanted signs and, and you know, 
sandwich boards out on the sidewalk. Reti- yeah, like, I mean, <laughs> n- none of the stuff is going to die for, you know, like, none of yeah. it dies. It just transfers. To well, yes. okay, if sir, we think sir, about sir. HR, yeah, we're already 20 years behind on everything, so I, I wouldn't yeah. be surprised. Yeah, it'll take us a while. It will. But yeah, if you want to start a business in our industry, just look at what's like hot now. It'll yes. be hot in our industry in 20 years. So, well, I say that all the time about programmatic when people ask me, like, yeah. why programmatic? I'm like, well, it's been in consumer marketing for 25 years yeah. and it's catching on right now, obviously, with all the acquisitions. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but like, we're 20 years behind. You're completely right. Yeah. Well, so. Um, that does tend to be the way of things. If anyone wants to get a hold of you, where's the They didn't best place? already know. Like seriously. Yeah, if yep. they don't so, know already. Please. Yeah, so the, the easy one is LinkedIn. Uh, Joel Cheeseman, no E after the S. Uh, but there aren't, there aren't a lot of Joel Cheesemans on LinkedIn, so you should be able to find me. Uh, poach.ai, uh, chadcheese.com, uh, ratedly.com would be uh, where I would steer your folks. Perfect. Hey, awesome. Bueno. Welcome, change agents, to your go to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose, and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change podcast, we'll journey together. Through the extraordinary yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts.